From Romans 8, hear the word of the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from sin and death. By sinning, um, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Um, for, the, um, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if in fact, or since in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin... Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put the death, the deeds of the body, you will live. Father, bless this reading. And bless this message. May it be your word. Amen. Amen. On Easter Sunday, a couple of weeks ago, I shared a story from author Gordon. And I've used him uh, several times in the past. He has a great little book called A Touch of Wonder. It was written many years ago. But it's a great little book where he talks about the little things in his life. Little things that he experiences and how that has... uh, really changed him. He's just kind of willing to listen and kind of see, uh, uh, see and hear, hear God's voice, really. Um, just seeing the, the God, God in different things. Anyway, he has this section called The Gift of Faith. And uh, in that section called The Gift of Faith, he opens with these words. This is what he writes. He says, he says I remember a, uh, a cold December afternoon years ago when I was in my early 20s. A friend and I were winding up a day of duck hunting we were picking up the decoys and when a flight of Canadian geese came by. You can kind of see the picture there, right? They're going about in the water, picking up the decoys, and then there's a flight of Canadian beasts, uh, uh, geese going by. They drove right across the sunset, so low that you could see their wingtips reflected in the burnished water. The sight was so magnificent that I exclaimed, Look at that! Makes you grateful just to be alive. Well, my friend said quietly, grateful to whom? You ever know anyone like that? Wonders whether there's anyone to be thankful for? Gordon goes on, he says, that was all he said, but I never forgot those words because they came so close to the cornerstone of my own philosophy. Indeed, the philosophy that is the theme of this book, the gifts of life, it seems to me, are beyond all counting and all measure. The sight, uh, he says, inevitably they evoke and elicit gratitude. But how can one be grateful for a gift without a giver? How can that happen? Since that far off afternoon, I have done much reporting in what might be termed the religious field. 
I've interviewed dozens of people, maybe hundreds, asking questions about their beliefs. Some impress me more than others, but it is impossible to avoid the conclusion, this conclusion, possible to avoid it, that the gift of faith, and I think it is a gift, is the most valuable one of all. People have it, that have it, are stronger. They are kinder. They're more unselfish. People who have the gift of faith are happier. It's as simple and as mysterious as that. Faith does amazing things, right? Faith, the gift of faith. You know, I just, there was no way that in my ministry and in your lives that we can ever overestimate the power of faith. Uh, there's just nothing I could do to, to say more than it should be. It, it, is, it is really an extraordinary thing uh, given to the church, given to Christians. Um, and we have to be honest about this. Faith is only as effective, it's only as good as the one that you put faith in. See, I say that because we live in a world that talks about faith. You know, we have faith-based institutions, this kind of thing. Uh, people talk about faith, having faith in something. You just got to have faith, you just got to have faith. Uh, musicians write songs about faith. But they usually don't mean faith in God, the God that is revealed in Scripture. It's usually just faith in something else. Uh, maybe faith in self. Oftentimes it is faith in self. You've got to believe in yourself. And, and I'm not here to say that you shouldn't on some level believe in yourself, but let's be honest. One's faith is only as effective as the one that you put yourself or your faith into. If your faith is only in self, then it will only be as effective as you yourself can deliver. Uh, but faith that is directed toward God, now that's another matter, isn't it? Faith that is directed toward God, the God who is, the I am, as I talked about last week, uh, will be as effective as the God of all reality. And that's the God we worship. That's why we come here on Sunday, because we worship a God who is the I am. I am here for you. I am the one that knew you before you were born. I am the one with you. I am the one who will be with you. I am the one who will be there when your body dies. I am the one who will come and get you and take you to eternal, to uh, your eternal home. I mean, God is the I am. The I am. We pray because God is the I am, the God of all reality. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? Isaiah writes. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? And my right is disregarded by my God. See, that's a, that's a statement of unbelief. Israel, why do you make statements of unbelief that somehow you think that your way is hidden from God? Your way is not hidden from God. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. See, he's not like the other gods. And he's not like you and he's not like me. 
He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We serve a great God, a God that we can put our faith into, and he will deliver, and he will care for us. He will take those places that we have holes in our armor, and he will fill those up with the Spirit of God and with the power of Jesus Christ. We have a God who will, who will be there for us and who is there for us. So it shouldn't really surprise us, right, that in, when we read the Bible, we discover that faith is absolutely essential for our own development in Jesus Christ, our growth in Jesus Christ, and our, and our security in Jesus Christ. See, faith is dynamic. Faith is not static. It's not just a set of things that we believe mentally. Faith is dynamic. It changes us. We grow in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this crucial question this morning. What does faith look like? We read Romans 11. I mean, not Romans 11, Hebrews 11. We read Romans 8, part of Romans 8. We read Hebrews 11. Pretty good description of faith. We're going to talk about some of those things uh, in there in a minute. What does faith look like? You know, one of the reasons why the Old Testament is so uh, wonderful and so powerful, powerful, at least in my life and I hope in your life, is because it demonstrates again and again the power of faith. It demonstrates what faith looks like. Uh, that's what it does. So many stories. And, 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 you know, sometimes I think, wouldn't it be great if we could all just come to church one day, eh, maybe bring our sleeping bags, right? And we go through all, th- someone's over there shaking their head, no, 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 no. Uh, we could put showers in here in the church, right? We could put showers in, you know, so that we could stay multiple days, right? And so we wouldn't smell so bad, right? And bring a toothbrush and all that kind of things. Wouldn't it be great if we could do that and just kind of camp out for multiple days and we could read through the entire Old Testament, 39 books. Wouldn't that be great? And not only read through it, but we can make comments along the way. You know what would happen? Of course, we're not going to do that. It probably would be, probably the only one here would be me, but... But it, no, that's not true, is it? That's not true. Susan would be here, absolutely. She would be here the whole time. I love you, Susan. Okay. But you know, I mean, it would if we did that kind of thing, our faith would grow immensely because our minds would begin to really begin to think biblically. We would incorporate this. I think, you know, one of the problems that we have in the church throughout this country, can't speak for other countries, so much, but throughout this country, is that we don't read the Word of God, and we don't read the Scriptures in worship. You know, we're too busy. You know, some of our churches, particularly in, in our really large churches, like uh, well, like in Houston, for example, visiting my friend's church in Houston, uh, not too long ago, and it's a great church and great people and so forth. It's just they have so many people coming in those doors, thousands of people, right? I mean, they got to be done in fifty-five minutes. Right? By this time you sing a few songs and you hear the word preached, there's no time left for reading the Bible. Right? That's an issue, um, an, an issue for, for churches. Um, they have to get the word of God to them other ways, read the word of God. But remember the early church. The early church, when they received a letter, what did they do? 
It was read to them, the whole thing. Just imagine receiving the letter from Paul that we call the book of Romans or the letter to the Romans. 16 chapters, and they would read it in front of the entire congregation. They would all read it, and it would be like a gift. They didn't have things like, you know, television, social media, whatever entertains us. You know, we live in such a video-driven culture. But they would come, and they would listen to the Word of God being read, the whole thing that they received. And you can just imagine the sense of joy that they would have and the, t- and the hours and the days they would meet afterward talking about what they received and how it would transform them and they would begin to think like Jesus Christ, you see. And we're so far away from that. It's very difficult. That's why the discipleship ministries in the church are so important, by the way. That's why we have things like Sunday school and Thursday night classes and Wednesday night prayer and, and Friday, Monday, Monday morning women's group. And Friday, Friday morning men's group and Monday night men's group, all these things that we do, they, they're there to get us not only connected to one another, which is very important, but also to receive the Word of God. You see? Oh, boy. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, about faith in the Old Testament. Just, well, just a little bit. I don't have much time to do, to do much of that, but um, Abraham is known as the man of faith. You know, I haven't even been using these. I've been so excited. I haven't even been using these slides I made. You're probably thinking I didn't make slides. I made all these slides, and I just missed it. See, look. Look at this. See, what I, uh, I just did this. Wait a minute. See, I had that big thing. What does faith look like? I'm, ta- I'm just going off talking. I'm so excited I missed the slide. Oh, well. Anyway, here's what does faith look like. Abraham is known as the man of faith. And uh, uh, this, this, just quickly here, we'll just take a look at what, what the word says about Abraham when he's, when, he call, when he's called. Now, the Lord said to Abram, and by the way, the name Abram is later changed to Abraham in the story uh, because it, it, it's, 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 it's intentional. It's intentional, but uh, it's, it has to do with the, the significance of, of the name. But now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. It'd be like, uh, you know, it'd be like me showing up and saying, look, you got to leave Kalama and go to, uh, would be a really tough place to go to, you know. Someone's at Longview? Yeah, go to Longview. Get up and go to Longview. No, don't do that to me, Lord. I got something to show you. Go to Longview. Okay, well, anyway. It's that he didn't even know it was, that he didn't really even know where he's going. The land that I will show you. And I will make uh, of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. In him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So he's like saying, he's like, he's essentially saying this, Abraham, are you going to give this a try? Are you going to trust me? If you trust me, look what's going to happen to the world. If you don't trust me, oh, we don't really know what's going to happen, right? You know, I had a professor at Asbury uh, Seminary who always likes to say, to say to this, that he wonders how many people God gave this opportunity to before he came to Abraham. That's a good question. We don't really know. Uh, but it's a possibility. The point is, is that God called Abraham, or Abram in this particular point in the story, and through him, he's going to change the world. But Abram had to pay a price for trusting God, right? He had to leave his country. He had to leave his kindred, his father's house. But he was promised this incredible reward, right? Um, And if Abraham in, in the Old Testament is the model of faith, then we need to consider his example in our own lives, for our own lives, for instructional purposes. The price he had to pay and the reward that was coming to him, you see. 
Um, now, we're going to spend a little time in some stories here with, uh, this comes from Hebrews chapter 11. And I, I want to say this to you, that Abraham is the model of faith. Um, faith has always been the glue that has united God's people to himself. Right? And that includes the time before Abraham. Although Abraham is the great model of faith, the writer of Hebrews shows us there's many other models. Right? And we're going to take a look at some of those people or three of those individuals that are models that the writer of, uh, of Hebrews gives us. So in chapter 11. So let's take a look at this real quickly. Well, not real quickly. I keep saying that. And it's not necessarily real quickly. Okay. Verse 4. By faith, this is pre-Abraham, right? By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Isn't that something? He still speaks because he's a model of faith, right? He's another model of faith. All right. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. That is, please God, right? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Uh, I love verse 6, by the way. I'm going to just jump back real quickly. I love verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who see him. Now, when I was in college, I was uh, involved with navigator ministry, and they are really into uh, memoriza- memorizing scripture. This is, this, is a, this is a great verse that's in the topical memory system that the navigators have. Um, You've got to know this verse. Without faith. It is impossible to please God for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, right? It's basic. Believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. Um, great memory verse. I'd uh, love for you to put that one to, uh, to memory. Okay, so let's talk about these three people in a little more detail. First, we have Abel, all right? By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now, the first thing I just want you to notice here is that Abel's faith caused him to act. I mean, right from the very beginning here in in Hebrews 11, we see that faith causes action. We have too many people in the world, too many people in the church even, that think of faith as being an intellectual assent. Well, I believe these things. I believe that God created the world. I believe that God created me. But it doesn't change their lives. Right? Isn't that a huge problem? We have all these people in the world, many of them coming to church, and they believe these things up here, but it hasn't changed their lives. Notice that faith always causes action. By faith, Abel offered 
up to God or offer to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Now, we don't really know, not specifically, we have some guesses. We don't really know why Abel's sacrifice is more acceptable than Cain's, okay? But there are some clues. And I, and I want to uh, take a look at, look at back at Genesis 4, and, and, and maybe we can think about why was Abel's sacrifice? Because everyone always asks that. Pastor, tell me, why is Abel's sacrifice more acceptable than Cain's? People ask, I have, I have that question many times in ministry, and people have probably asked you that. Genesis 4, now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So what is the clue? Or what are the clues that we have here that why Abel's offering was acceptable to God? Well, we know it was brought in faith, right? This is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us, that it's faith. Whereas Cain apparently didn't have the same kind of faith. Look at, look, at what, look at what Cain brought. He brought an offering from the ground. But notice it doesn't say anything like special about it. It's not like the first. It doesn't say that it was the first of, his, of the fruit of the ground. Nothing like that. Right? I mean, I, this is my suspicion. Okay? And there's been lots of theories about this. You know? But this is my suspicion. Is that Cain thought, well, you know, I'm going to hold some back. I'm not going to give God my best. I'm going to give him something that, he'll, that we'll, he'll be happy with, you know, but maybe it's not my very best thing, okay? Um, it's like, uh, you know I'm in the gardening, right, a little bit? I'm not very good at it, but I'm into it a little bit. See, I grow this great tomato plant, and I got this one tomato plant that's fantastic, and I have this one tomato unbelievable, like it's beautiful. You, tell, you just know, you look at it, and you, your mouth starts to water, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm not going to give that to God. And I'm certainly not going to give that to any of my friends. That's for me, right? Right? I have a suspicion that Cain may have been doing this kind of thing, might have had that kind of attitude. Don't really know. But I suspicion that that's the truth. But notice what it says about Abel. Abel brings the firstborn of, the, of his flock. And we know that the firstborn, when you read through the Old Testament, you know the firstborn is the special one, right, of God. That's the one that belongs to God. The firstborn of his flock. And of their fat portions. And also in the Old Testament, we know that the fat portions are like the, considered to be the best. So what we're being told here is Abel's giving the best that he has because he believes in God. He believes God will respond favorably. And God does, of course. You see? Okay, so that's, you know, the, 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 there's, uh, there's some real distinctions. But the first thing that you notice here about faith is that faith always causes action. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Faith always causes action. That's exactly right. Okay. So, so uh, let's look at the second one here. Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Wouldn't you like to be that guy? Wouldn't you like to be Enoch? Anyway, now before he was taken, he was committed as having pleased God. So big question, right? What in the world was going on? People always ask this question, you know. And actually, the Hebrews wrote... You know, like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with First Enoch and Second Enoch and so forth, but there's that literature's out there, right? Um, this guy was a very special person. He did not die. He pleased God to such a degree that God took him. Well, what does it mean to please God? Well, we know that in verse 6 he's going to tell us that it takes faith, right? Without faith it is impossible to please God, right? So if you're thinking that you're pleasing God by, you know, I don't know, um, you name it, I don't know, helping your neighbor or whatever. I mean, if it's not somehow tied to faith, 
It's not really, it's not pleasing God, right? But faith is absolutely essential here. What do you think, what do you think Enoch did? I, I think I have an idea what Enoch really did. He spent time with God. I mean, come on. He had, he's just one of these persons who just like loved God, right? You know that he did. You know that he just spent time with him. He wanted to be with him. Believing in God, of course, he acted on it by spending time with God. And the more time that he spent with God, the guys, you know what was going on, right? God was saying, saying to his angels, well, you know, almost certainly, right? Hey, take a look at Enoch. Look at this guy. He wants to go on a walk with me today. <laughs> he won't leave me alone. <laughs> he keeps calling my name. He wants to be with me all the time. And so God says, hey, I'm going to take you. I'm going to give you what you really want. Really want, see? He pleased God because he was spending time with him, almost certainly. And so faith, again, produces action. All right, so let's, let's, look, at, um, let's, let's, let's look at this next one here, Noah. All right, what's the deal with Noah? Well, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. Faith results in action again. He constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he, con he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Well, there's a couple of things here that we just see right off of. Again, every time, faith results in action. By the way, how, is it, how are you doing with that? How, how are you doing with your life? Is your faith resulting in action? Is your faith actually changing you? Is your faith causing you to do something that otherwise you would not do? Or are you just kind of going through the everyday stuff, you know, just going through the routine, just, you know, just kind of going through stuff, and, you know, it's not really affecting your life, but, you know, you make it to church, you know, maybe every third Sunday or something or whatever, right? Here, Noah constructs an ark, which is like a crazy idea, right? We know this story, and, and, and people, you know people back then were going, look at that crazy guy. He's the, he's the loon that's building an ark out in this, this land. It hasn't rained here in weeks, months. We didn't get much rain here the last year. This guy's building an ark. That's what, he also, what it also says is by this faith, by this construction of the ark, but it's acting on faith that he condemns the world. Did you know that God has called you and I, in a sense, to condemn the world by our faith? We, in other words, we put the world on notice when we act on our faith, right? The, there's a reason why Jesus said, well, turn with me to John chapter uh, 15. Turn with me to John chapter 15. You know, I have a lot to say today. We haven't even hit Romans yet. You know? But the Word of God changes our lives. Right? So let's go with me to Roman, or, uh, John chapter 15. Take a look at what Jesus says. Look at verse 18. Thinking in terms of Noah condemning the world by his actions. What Jesus says. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. You know why the world hated Jesus? 
because he was acting in faith toward his father. Does anyone hate you? We live in a culture where, you know, people are pretty much hands-off, right? But if someone out there doesn't hate what you're doing because you're a believer, then maybe your faith isn't really acting the way it's supposed to act. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Wouldn't that be nice? Get all cuddly and stuff with the world. Everybody likes me. And Jesus says that's like the worst thing that can happen, right? If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, uh, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Noah condemned the world by his actions. Friends, if we're not in some measure condemning the world by our actions, then we're not letting faith change us. It speaks volumes to the high school students in this room. Because so many of us, when we were in high school and in middle school, don't want to be known as a Christian. I've heard that testimony here when I was working with the youth group many years ago. They didn't want to be known as Christians. Let me tell you something. If you're not willing to be known as a Christian in school, there's a problem. If we're not willing to be known as Christians in our places of work, there's a problem. If we're not willing to embrace the world's hatred of us, then maybe we're not acting on faith. Faith changes us. We have to be willing to take the world's hatred just the way it is. We have to be a shining light in the midst of darkness, and darkness doesn't like light. Faith changes us. Well, what do we see here? Faith in every character, every one of these persons, faith precedes and causes deeds. And this is what faith is. Think of faith this way. This might be a helpful analogy. It's a helpful, helpful image. Faith's like the fuel that makes an engine go. That's what it is. There's no fuel. There's no movement. Right? Faith's the fuel. You don't have to be a, you don't have to be a faithful person for my sake. You have to be a faithful person for God's sake, for Jesus' sake. Um, sometimes I run into people who, uh, who, you know, they say they believe in God. Pastor, I believe in God. I go, really? So tell me about that. Tell me what that looks like. Well, I believe that he created the world. And I believe he created me. Fantastic. That's great. So tell me about your redemption. Most people don't really know what the word redeem means. Right? So then I have to sh- change it and say, well, tell me this. Tell me this. Um, do you know that he's forgiven you of your sins? And, the, and usually, I, I usually get this, well, I'm, maybe. I'm not entirely sure. Well, can you pray for me? And that's great. I mean, they're sincere. And that's, and when they get sincere people, that's fantastic. But many people also will say, well, no. I don't think he really has. i got too many issues. 
you know what? If that's the case in your life, you're not believing who God really is. God has already forgiven you, but whether you receive it, whether it's effective, depends upon your heart. Remember, that I've shared this so many times. You remember Jesus on the cross, right? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, it's crazy stuff. God loves us so much, he already forgives. It's just that we don't receive it because we resist his will. And so that forgiveness doesn't change us. And if it doesn't change us, we don't enter into the holy city, the new Jerusalem, as those who've taken Revelation understand, right? We don't enter the heavenly realm because our own hearts condemn us and we stay in the darkness. But God offers forgiveness because he already loves you. (laughs) There's nothing you can do to deserve it, right? To earn it. He loves you. Loves you. He prayed for you on the cross, right? And he's praying for you now in the heavenly realm because of his great, great, great love for you. Okay. Not even in Romans 8. What am I doing? Well... Let's take a look at Romans 8, 12, and 13. Because I'm committed to preach to this book. But I'm also committed to listen to the Lord and, and preach on things that really impact the church as well. I thought this wouldn't, but the point is, is that I knew I needed to share this thing about faith. And, and it helps us understand Romans 8, 12, and 13, particularly verse 13. Look at, look at Romans 8, 8, 12, and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Not to... Uh, to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put the death, the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, what does the Spirit of God do? The Spirit of God is dynamic. The Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity, as we say. The Spirit of God is personal. The Spirit of God gives us new birth. The Spirit of God is the dynamic power of God in the world. He's a person. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, okay, notice this. If I the Spirit through the dynamics of faith, we put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. I want to say this to the church. The Spirit of God will not work with those who are unwilling to believe. What does it mean not to believe? It means to resist the will of God in your life. See how important the heart is? The Spirit of God will not work with people who resist him, right? In the human realm, the Spirit of God works works through the dynamics of faith. So faith produces deeds. Abel acted, Enoch acted, Noah acted, Abraham acted. And the story goes on and on and on and on and on through the Old Testament as the, as the writer of Hebrews makes it clear in chapter 11. Right? Now, I hope we can take a little more time. Are, are you, am I exhausting you yet? Okay, are you with me? Am I exhausting you yet? Okay, because I, I, I wanted to share this here. Okay, this, this, this dynamic thing. This is what faith does. I love this story in Luke chapter 5. Right? I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And you're, you're, many of you are familiar with the story, maybe even all of you, I don't know, most of you are familiar with the story, but it's just this great story. It's this great story of faith and the dynamic faith, right? Luke 5, starting with verse 17, it's a story of the paralytic. 
This is fantastic. On the on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. Think like that? They were sitting there. They were judging. Right? They're static. No movement here. They were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord, there it is, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So Luke's trying to say, "Uh uh-oh, be aware of this. We've got Pharisees, Sadducees, or these kinds of things, not Sadducees, but Pharisees and teachers of the law, and all of a sudden Jesus is going to be healing here. This is is a crisis, crisis situation. It's coming on. They're going to judge. But anyway, it goes on. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Such a human story. And they were seeking uh, to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. I'll never forget this. If you'll give me time this morning. I'll never forget this, that when I was in college, we, I, we have this, I had this, this great friend named Dave, Dave Sipe. He was my roommate. And Dave Sipe wanted to get an interview you know, with a, with a high-powered uh, company, right? And, and so there were three of us that decided that we needed to, to get him this interview. Now, at the college I went to, people line up for interviews like at midnight the day before. I mean, seriously. Like, they want to get this interview, and so they line up like 15 hours before the interview happens. They literally are sta- they're there all night, Okay? Like outside. So my friends and I, we decide, you know, we love Dave. And we believe that Dave is going to get an interview if we do something. So we t- pick up Dave's bed. And we take it over to the where he's going to be, where he's going to interview the next morning. We set his bed up like around 8 in the evening. He's the first one. Why did we do that? Because we loved him. And he slept there. People who walked by and thought this is crazy, but no, this is what happens at that school, right? Because people are really intense. They really, really want to succeed. And so we up, and that's what friends do, right? And these friends here, they just like, we've got this buddy. We've got this friend. He's, he's paralyzed, but we hear, you know, it probably started with one person. I hear this Jesus guy's coming around. He's coming to town, right? He's, I hear this Jesus guy done, has done miracles, and, and we love our friend Charlie, and Charlie's paralyzed. There's a chance, right? There's just a chance. There's a chance that maybe, you know we can get him in. But guess what? They got there too late. And there's a crowd around around Jesus as he's teaching. Look what it says in verse 19. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his uh, down with his bed through the tiles into the mist before Jesus. It's a comic situation. You know, the people probably were like, they're shocked. But they're kind of, some were probably chuckling with these people. They're nuts. They're crazy. What does Jesus say? He's so shocked by this faith. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. You see the dynamics of faith here? Ultimately, it has to do with forgiveness. As we believe God forgives us, but it takes dynamic action. And the amazing thing here is that it's, it's so contagious and so dynamic that Jesus sees the faith of the friends. We don't know about the guy who's actually in the bed. Right? But he sees the face of the friends. He's like going, I'm going big on this one. Your sins are forgiven. To which the Pharisees and so forth are going to judge Jesus, but nevertheless. Right? Faith is dynamic. Faith is personal. Faith takes, gives action. What are you doing? What are you doing? What am I doing? How does our life look? 
The incredible power of faith. Faith produces deeds. And deeds are incredibly contagious. Change all those people. Right? Um, I'm going to say, it does even more than that. I want to say this because I want to close this message up, but I'm pretty long time. But not only does faith produce deeds, but deeds produce destiny. Right? Because, because look, look, at the, look at the verse here. Look at the verse. Um, it says this. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Okay? It says in verse 12, it says, We are brothers, debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Verse 13, I got it up here. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, that takes faith, right? If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, that takes faith. If you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And what are the deeds of the body? In the context of Romans 8, they're the deeds of the flesh. Again, resisting God, not trusting, not believing. But if by the Spirit you put the death of deeds of the body, you'll live. This is the reason why I began this service saying, anyone here has holes in your armor? Right? Because some of us are like, we're not putting to death the deeds of the body. Satan is getting in in different places and messing us up. But with, with, with the power of the Holy Spirit and our trusting the Holy Spirit, trusting the love of God, these things can be filled in. And I just, want, I just want you to know that I am praying for this church continually in this particular area. We all need it. All of us. Because we're all subject to temptation. And if we're going to accomplish our mission here on this earth, we need to pray that God would help us do that. And it's not going to happen unless we put the death of deeds of the body. All right? Okay? So that's the word today. That's where be a person of faith. Pray that God will help you. And he will. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you that you've given us all these Old Testament examples. What it means to believe in you. And we see this incredible like truth that faith always results in a change of life. It results in a change of behavior. It results in a change of thinking. Um, faith changes us. But Lord, we can't do it on our own, but we've been given this incredible gift as the church that not only do we believe, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh, and that we can live in the Spirit and have great joy and great life. Lord, I just love these people. And if I love them, wow, I can't even imagine how much you must love them. Would you give them grace upon grace upon grace and fill them up, make them incredible people of faith, mighty in spirit and great in faith. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.